0: Do I need a life coach? You're listening to episode 65 with Rhiannon Bush. Welcome to the Do I Need a Life Coach podcast. We're here to discuss the ins and outs of the life coaching industry and give you tools to use to see for yourself. I'm your host, Rhiannon Bush, mother, management consultant, and a passionate certified life coach. Well, hello, my lovely friends, welcome back. It's so lovely to have you here. I hope wherever you are that you are having a really, really lovely time and that you're calm and that you're peaceful or that you're really happy. I don't mind what it is. I just hope it's really, really positive. Um, I got back from Byron Bay recently and I've never been to Byron Bay and I'd heard all sort of mixed things about it. And I remember watching an episode or two of Byron Bay's and then I realized it wasn't really my thing, so I didn't watch any more of it. Um, But it is a magical place and there's really not a lot to dislike about it. (laughs) And what I loved the most was there was such an eclectic mix of people, which always makes me feel really comfortable, I think is the word. Uh, I really enjoy um, people watching and observing people getting along and just living their lives. And we were there for a wedding, so it was extremely odd walking down into Byron Bay to get on a bus to go to where the wedding was, um, all dressed up when Byron's actually a very casual place. Um, But it was just, it was a very fleeting time. We went for two nights and then we came back um, and it was, oh, it was incredible. It was really quality time. I didn't sleep very well, but that's okay. (laughs) Because I was there just to spend time with my family to go to this amazing wedding was just beautiful. Um, And we had a really lovely time. So now we're back and it's yeah, back to podcasting and all the rest of it. So yeah, it was wonderful. Today, I want to talk about our perfect self. So I was working with a client a while back on weight loss and we were doing some deep work. And for those of you who have never done deep work or don't know what that is, it's taking time and making space. That's how I like to look at it. You create space to really get in touch with what you want. And often when you do sort of trance states or hypnosis type work, your unconscious mind and your subconscious mind get a chance to actually throw things into your conscious that you may not be aware of or you may not have been able to um, give attention to in normal life because you're just so busy and distracted with the things going on around you. And external to you, you don't get a chance to kind of come inward and to let those um, images come through and then give yourself a chance to go, is that what I want? Is it not what I want? What does that mean? Um, kind of like when you have a dream. Um, for those of you who dream, um, you often can combine a whole bunch of different things from, you know, your your life that you've been exposed to. And then it comes out in a crazy story, sometimes with purple flying dinosaurs, with newspapers. Yeah, I have had that dream. Um, but often we can attribute meaning to those things. And that's what we were doing. And she remembered that as a child, she was told, you must eat everything on your plate. And she'd completely forgotten about it. But when she remembered, she could identify that as a child, she was constantly told that. And then as an adult, she would do exactly that, eat everything on her plate. Even when the plate was full of food she didn't want or even need, uh, because she would you know, identify halfway through that she was feeling satiated, but then she would continue to eat the rest of it. And I think it's a habit I've definitely fallen into in the past. Um, I would prefer not to waste food, Uh, but this client was specifically trying to lose weight and she just, yeah, this was a really big kind of moment for her. And over the course of her life, the way that she'd been conditioned at that young age had carried through into her life as an adult. And it wasn't serving her as an adult. And I can't tell you how many times I've worked with clients where this same pattern appears. You know, whether it be food or fitness, self-talk, discovery, exploration, salary negotiations, whatever emotional hurdle you're having can often be attributed to your childhood. And it's not a negative or a positive thing. It just is the way that we are conditioned and having to recognize that. So some of the ways we're conditioned when we're young often carries through to adulthood and it no longer serves us. And the reason it carries through to us to adulthood is because we don't realize it's not serving us until we're unhappy, unfulfilled uh, and often unhealthy because we're either out drinking or eating too much um, and we would rather be doing other things. So an added bonus of us being us means that we are seeking growth and we seek challenges and we simultaneously seek staying the same our brain is in this constant debate over what's good for us now versus what's good for us in the future. And while these signals and needs come from different parts of our brain, they throw in external influences as well. And it's no wonder that changing or living a life that's on our terms when we've been conditioned as a young person to uh, live the way other people want us to live or inform us to live or are examples of how we should live. You know, it's no easy, easy feat. So we're wired to compare and the results of that is often us having to, you know, create this idealized version of ourselves when we're that perfect weight or we look perfect or we have the perfect income, perfect job, perfect everything. And that's usually the baseline we try to measure our existing life to. And let's call it our higher self, our perfect self, our better self, our idealized self. And then there is our self our actual self, the way that we are right now. <laughs> so as humans, we are perfectly imperfect. We experience both negative and positive emotions every day, which is very confusing because in our idealized version of ourselves, we would be happy and peaceful and calm and accomplished all of the time. Like the royal family, for instance, right? I was slouching over my food at the dining table the other day with my kids and I was i was really tired. It was a long day. I'd been up since 5 a.m., And my posture was slouched over, my elbow was on the table, and I don't know why it came to me, but I had this moment where I thought, Kate Middleton would never eat like this. No way. No way would she slouch, slurp, burp. I wasn't doing that, but I was definitely slouching, and I just... Anyway, there was nothing graceful or sophisticated about the way I was eating. It was actually, yeah, I would never eat like that in public. But I just, it was an interesting thought to have in that moment, and... It's celebrity status, right? So today we get access to painted pictures of perfection through social media, never a hair out of place, never a bump of cellulite, never a pimple or a blemish, you know, never doing normal human stuff. And that's how we're taught and conditioned that we are supposed to be. And I think part of the reason when I was in Byron, it was so refreshing was because bras aren't a thing there. I don't know if anyone of you have been or you know about Byron Bay, like Chris Hemsworth is quite synonymous with Byron Bay, but like a lot of women just don't wear bras there. And it's so refreshing. It's lovely because, you know, they're all shapes and sizes and it's just, again, nobody really cares. So I just thought that was really refreshing and, and lovely. But in this celebrity status thing, you know, no one's ever doing that normal human stuff. And that's how we're taught and conditioned that we're supposed to be, I think. So there was me slouching over my dinner, looking like a bit of a slob (laughs) because I was just needing to hold myself upright. And I thought to myself, yeah, there's no way Kate Middleton would eat like this. But the beauty about your life is that it's your own. You get to choose and you get to design your life with conscious thought and energy if you want to. So when you have a greater understanding of how our brains work, that debate I was talking about earlier and how our past has such an impact on our present and therefore our future, you get to stop and recognise that, you know, whatever it is you want to change, you can. And whatever you want to keep and have stay the same, you can. So what is really going to make you happy? Is slouching over the dinner table one night really that big of a deal? No. Most people in their idealised self think they wanna be happy all the time. That's why having those perfections, all those ideals and being that way is appealing because they think it's gonna make them happy all the time. So they work and work towards that only to constantly fail and decrease the trust they have with themselves because guess what? We will always experience that rainbow, the positives, the negatives, It's how we're hardwired. And while yes, we can be more positive and we can make changes over time, we can look at things differently. Our brains are wired for caution and fear to keep us safe. So it's important to recognize your idealized self, the things your idealized self has that you want and the purpose for which you want to make the changes. So for instance, I love to have wine and I also love chocolate. My idealized self would never drink alcohol or have chocolate. And the reason for that is actually health which is incredibly important, really. I mean, there's not much else you know, that is important, I don't think, than our health. But there's no need to drink wine. There's no need to eat chocolate. There are no health benefits of consuming those things. But actual Rhiannon, real-life Rhiannon, going about her life, thoroughly enjoys celebrating at the end of the day or week with a glass of wine. It's rarely more than one or two glasses, but that's how she likes to celebrate and have a little bit of chocolate here and there. In my own life, I've noticed that while I have reduced my alcohol and chocolate consumption, there are moments when I miss the relaxation and joy they bring. I can be relaxed and happy during long periods of abstinence, but this internal struggle raises questions about whether I'm making changes in alignment with my health or societal ideals. Is there a need to completely forego chocolate and wine and such pleasures when they can bring moments of celebration and enjoyment? Where's the balance? And it's such a personal choice and something that each of us can individually work out for ourselves. If abstinence 100% of the time is the way that you want to live, great, kudos, do that. If eating it every single day is something you want to do, you can. It just depends on how much you value your health. So deciphering where you are now and what your idealized self has, so that A to B, and then Finding that middle ground and doing things consciously will help you find the compromise and in a way that doesn't feel like you're depriving yourself or that pendulum is swinging too far in the opposite direction to where you are now. So, the thing about comfort zone is exactly that it's comfortable. And our reptilian brain loves it there. So when we try to change too much too fast, as in we jump out of our comfort zone, we can sustain it for short periods of time. But inevitably, we get to a stage where it's too difficult to be sustainable. It's too uncomfortable and we'll jump right back into our comfort zone, often worse off than we were before because we then have a reason to beat ourselves up and criticize ourselves for not doing the things that we wanted to do. And I'll talk more on comfort zone in episode 56 if you want to have a look uh, in much more detail at comfort zone specifically. I have a girlfriend who years ago got um, a high cholesterol score from a doctor and she immediately turned vegan and she used to work in a steakhouse. You know, she has incredible willpower, but it's exactly that, willpower. And we all know willpower is great for short bursts of activity, but it's not sustainable for lasting change. Why? Willpower, often defined as the ability to resist short-term temptations to achieve long-term goals, it has its limitations. So while it can be a really valuable tool in certain situations, relying solely on willpower to bring about significant and lasting changes, you know, it'll prove challenging for several reasons. Willpower uses dopamine and other hormones in the brain that are finite. So throughout the day, as we make decisions, we resist temptations, we navigate challenges, these resources become depleted, leading to a decrease in self-control and that willpower that's been helping us get what we want. So because of this, that stress and fatigue impact willpower because when we're stressed and we're tired, we don't have the energy to exert willpower. That's often when we look for that instant gratification and we just want to feel better really quickly, which is then when we turn to drugs, whether it be legal or illegal, chocolate, booze, shopping, think of anything that people get addicted to. That's what we use in our society to feel that instant gratification. So if you're anything like me, when it comes to your idealized self, you get all fired up and motivated, you know where you're going and the changes you want to make. And consequently, you overestimate the ability and impact of your willpower. And this looks like setting unrealistic goals or trying to change too many habits at once, going too hard too soon, which doesn't work, like you eat you know, what you eat every day and then you halve that amount. It's not going to be sustainable, it's not going to work. Instead, it often leads to burnout and again, that excuse to criticize and demoralize oneself, which is never positive or resourceful or useful in any way. So successfully changing often involves planning, goal setting, and creating a supportive environment as well as relying on willpower. So our environment also plays a significant role in our ability to exert willpower. If certain behaviors are deeply ingrained as habits, like I was talking about earlier when we do deep work, you know, we may act sub or unconsciously. So negative emotions such as stress, anxiety, sadness can weaken our ability to resist impulses. So emotional regulation is essential for maintaining willpower and for goal achievement. So willpower often involves choosing delayed gratification for long-term goals over immediate rewards, which is really, really hard if you have a habit, especially of wanting to feel really, really good and using certain things to do that. However, when presented with something that will provide us with that immediate pleasure and comfort, you know, it's often really appealing to have it and we get that instant fix instead of sticking to our longer-term goals. Then there's our self-talk. If it's negative, it will often override our willpower and undermine us because it tends to be really, really specific and quite mean. (laughs) So for many, many reasons, willpower alone won't work when we're trying to achieve our goals. And it's more often the way that you achieve success is by using a combination of strategies and planning. So when you do that, then you can implement lasting change. Is this making sense? Have you ever felt frustrated and upset with yourself because you've made an effort, like you've actually taken action to achieve what you want, you've set the goal and then you've started to implement and then at some point fall off the bandwagon, revert back to what you were doing before and you feel even worse about it because you did try? Doesn't it suck? (laughs) It really sucks. All right, so let's circle back quickly. Our primitive brain, uh, reptilian brain is designed to keep us safe from threats so it tends to gravitate towards the familiar and comfortable it's an instinctive response and that has been you know hardwired into us for survival but what happens when the conditions of our comfort zone were established during childhood and no longer align with our desires and aspirations as adults have you experienced this as an adult Are you wrestling with discomfort and restlessness because there's something in your life you're not satisfied with? Is there an internal conflict that takes you to certain coping mechanisms like overeating, excessive drinking, instant gratification, shopping? While that animal brain of ours might be content with sedentary pleasure of sitting in front of the TV, the real conflict exists because our higher functioning adult brain, our prefrontal cortex, Desperately wants us to accomplish things and to progress. Our more adult brain wants more for us. It wants success. It wants prestige. It wants us to win. So this paradox introduces two versions of ourselves our idealized self and our actual self so that idealized version that we've been talking about it's the version that we envisage as perfect complete and embodying our highest potential so it's the image we hold of ourselves at our very best in contrast our actual self is a person we are in the real world navigating life as perfectly imperfect human beings when we have to deal with that 50-50 of negative and positive emotions every day. We have a whole lot of stress and pressure that comes from our lives, whether that's in our families, whether that's from work, whether that's from friends, from other things that are going on. And we often perceive our idealized self as a state of constant happiness, peace, achievement. In our idealized version, there is no room for negative emotions or imperfections. We've been conditioned through media and so on to believe that our higher self should embody all the ideals of perfection. And how much pressure do you feel as I say that? How heavy and strenuous does that feel, the energy that it requires to be perfect? So here are some questions for you to consider. What does perfect mean to you? Begin by asking yourself what your idealized self represents. Is it a state of happiness or peace? What are you achieving or what have you achieved? Are you having fun? What other characteristics do you see when you think of perfect? Second question, will perfection lead to happiness? It's an essential question to ask whether striving for this idealized self will genuinely make you happy or whatever it is you want to be. Many people believe that achieving this perfection and this idealized self that they have will eliminate all negative feelings. There's many people who have said it, many very successful people that have said it. That's not how it works. Three, if you were to sacrifice that instant gratification and move closer to your idealized self, would it be worth it? Even if you still experienced emotional highs and lows when you arrived. So this is another reason, I'm tangenting for a second. This is another reason that I stopped in a way pursuing being size eight. I'm never going to be size eight. And I actually know the things now that I would have to sacrifice to be a size eight. And that to me is not worth it. Being healthy is absolutely worth it. But being skinny and being ridiculously skinny, too skinny necessarily for my frame, maybe if that's even a thing, I've just let it go. Because actually being healthy is more important. Being skinny, not so much. And the reason that I've let that go is because I think it's an unrealistic, idealized version of myself. One where I would have to sacrifice fun and friends and a lot of things I'm just not willing to sacrifice. On the flip side of that, business aspirations, to have my own successful business, to coach clients, to help my clients move forward, to create masterclasses, to run retreats, to run trainings. That is an idealized version of myself I have. And whether I'm happy at that point or not doesn't really matter because at that point, it's not about me. At that point, it's about my clients and it's about the people I serve. And that's what I mean. If you were to sacrifice that instant gratification and move closer to your idealized self, would it be worth it? So decipher the things that would be worth it and wouldn't be worth it and focus on the ones that it would be worth it regardless of the emotional highs and lows you'd experience firstly on the way and secondly when you arrived. Last question, why are you making these changes? Is it health, happiness, longevity, social conformity? Be truthful in your answer and as long as you're content with your answer, that's all that matters. That's okay, but you've got to be honest with yourself about why you want to make those changes. Ultimately, it's important to consider the motivations behind whatever desire we have for change and to understand whether our pursuit of perfection aligns with our genuine well-being. So balancing that idealized self with our actual self requires that deep work, that thoughtful reflection and that self-compassion. And also embracing the reality of our emotions and imperfections because it can lead to a more measured approach on the way to becoming our idealized self. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. Hey, before you go, I always find reviews really helpful when looking for new information or insights. If you found this podcast valuable, please take a minute to write a quick review about what you found most beneficial so that other people can benefit from your insights and have the listen as well. I would love that. Also, if there are any topics you want me to cover specifically about life coaching or the life coaching industry, visit RhiannonBush.com to contact me. Thanks for joining and I'll see you in the next episode of the Do I Need a Life Coach podcast.